Today is Palm Sunday, the first day of what we call Holy Week. On this day, we remember Jesus riding into Jerusalem with people cheering for him and laying down their cloaks and leafy branches in his path. In Mark's gospel, this happens at the very beginning of chapter 11, which means that nearly a third of this gospel takes place during what we now call Holy Week, the time between Jesus' entry into Jerusalem and his death and burial. Today, we hear one of Mark's stories about an encounter Jesus has during that week, an encounter Jesus uses to teach about the importance of tending to the urgency of the present moment, an encounter Jesus tells us to remember whenever we proclaim the gospel. Now, as we prepare to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us pray. Holy and gracious God, as we prepare to enter into this holy week, help us to set aside whatever might distract us from your holy word. May your word inspire us, nurture us, and challenge us as we seek to faithfully follow you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hear now this reading from Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9. While he, Jesus, was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment of nard, and she broke open the jar and poured the ointment on his head. But some were there who said to one another in anger, Why was the ointment wasted in this way? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has performed a good service for me. For you always have the poor with you, and you can show kindness to them whenever you wish. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last week, in a presentation to our adult education class, the Reverend Mark Ramsey, our new parish associate, introduced many of us to Polly Murray, a 20th century American civil rights activist, lawyer, women's rights activist, author, and Episcopal priest. Mark shared with us these lines from one of Murray's poems. Hope is a song in a weary throat. Give me a song of hope and a world where I can sing it. God knows our throats are weary, weary of crying out for justice and peace, weary of encounters mediated by phones and computer screens, weary of speaking the names of those who have died too soon. Weary of wearing masks and calculating six feet of distance. Weary of inequity and division and violence 
that stubbornly resist our efforts to make meaningful change. Weary of wondering how long, O Lord. And yet, in the midst of our weariness and our longing, God has given us a song of hope. It is the hope of immigrants determined to find a better life for themselves and their families. It is the hope of those whose humanity has been denied because of their profession or religion or gender or sexuality or ability. It is the hope of those who have spent time in the tombs of life with pain and grief and loss and confusion and uncertainty, but those who have discovered that the simple comfort of another's presence can help them get through another day. God has given us a song of hope and a world where we can sing it. And God's hope, hope born of loss and struggle, is hope that must be shared with the world. For it is this hope that our world desperately needs. Even in the midst of the deep weariness we all feel, after a year when our lives and our world have been upended, Murray's words compel us to recognize the urgency of this moment. Yes, our throats are weary, but God has given us a song of hope and a world where we can sing it. The woman who came to the house of Simon the leper with an alabaster jar of expensive ointment recognized the urgency of the moment. We know next to nothing about her. Mark does not give her a name or any identifying labels. All we know about her is that unlike the others, those who have the privilege to sit and dine with and learn from Jesus, unlike them, this woman grasps the urgency of Jesus' situation and of her own. She has a song of hope and she can't not sing it. Something has compelled her to pour out on Jesus a symbol of her love and gratitude, anointing him with perfume that costs the equivalent of a year's wages. As is often the case when an outsider proclaims a sacred, hope-filled truth, the insiders don't get it. The other guests at that dinner party are scandalized by this woman's disruptive, disturbing, and in their estimation, recklessly wasteful actions. Presumably, these men who are dining with Jesus are insiders who know what's going to happen next because Jesus has told them again and again, he must go to Jerusalem where he will be betrayed and where he will be crucified. But the insiders just can't believe this could happen to Jesus, which is why the woman's extravagant act makes no sense to them. What a waste, they say, a waste of valuable resources that could have gone to help those in need. And isn't that what they are supposed to be about? In response, Jesus says, she has performed a good service for me. She has anointed my body for burial. The word our translation renders good, as in a good service, is the Greek word kalos, 
which is used to mean either something good in a moral sense or something beautiful. In this case, its youth transcends both of those meanings. As one scholar puts it, what the woman does is admirable because it is timely. The beauty of her extravagant and apparently wasteful gesture is due to the particular situation, he writes. Jesus is about to die. Her act is beautiful because she has invested herself in it. She gave what she had to him who was about to give his life for her. This woman grasped the urgency of Jesus' situation. But those who should have grasped it couldn't accept what was right in front of them. And as so often happens, it is the one who dares to respond appropriately to the moment, who is shamed and dismissed and relegated to the margins. This year, Holy Week arrives at this moment when the threat of the global pandemic is finally receding. So it is understandable if we think that the urgency of our moment is about getting back to the way things were. Back to the relative freedom of mixing and mingling with family, friends, and strangers. Back to the demands of so-called normal life. Demands to work harder, move faster, keep busier, spend more. This is the nearly magnetic pull we all feel. But forgive me if I suggest that this is not the urgency this moment calls for, especially not this week. Holy Week is the time every year, regardless of the external circumstances, when we are called to hear and reflect again on the last week of Jesus' life. There are many ways to do this. This year, we will be having worship services every day at 7 p.m. during this Holy Week. On Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, you can join us in person or online, and we will be fully online on Thursday and Friday. You can also attend to this week by simply spending time each day with Scripture. Try taking these next few days to read through the 14th and 15th chapters of Mark, these stories of Jesus in Jerusalem. Now make no mistake, there is nothing easy about the stories of Jesus last week. It is hard to stay with them, to look at them without wanting to turn away. They are stories of betrayal, corruption of power, injustice, and deep suffering. In other words, they are stories that tell the truth about the world and about humanity. When we sit with these stories, we must reckon with the real urgency of this moment, which is less about returning to so-called normal life and more about opening our hearts and minds and souls to the possibility that God is calling us to a new way of life, 
a way of life that incorporates all we have seen and experienced in this past difficult year. Catherine Jezer Morton grew up in Vermont on a commune her father had helped start. It was called Total Loss Farm, and it was a community that held fast to the values of self-sufficiency, honoring the earth, avoiding consumerism, and supporting one another. As soon as she could, Jezer Morton left the commune, but she returned when her father died at the age of 64. He was, she writes, among the first of his community to go. It was a shock. His memorial service overflowed. At his burial in the Jewish cemetery in the Vermont town where he lived, dozens of friends stood by as we lowered his casket, handmade by a friend, into the ground. An earth mover was parked discreetly at the graveyard's edge, waiting to cover the casket with dirt. She continues, There was a shovel on hand, and just as we were about to disperse from the grave, a friend began burying the casket by hand. No one spoke, but we understood that a machine would not be used to cover my father's body in dirt. Taking turns, we buried the casket ourselves. We tamped down the earth with our feet when we had finally finished. I remember it often, she writes. Sometimes the very thought still brings me to tears. We do it together. We do it for each other. And we don't pay someone else to do the things that matter. That was what the commune meant. And it was the most profound lesson of my upbringing. The people at that graveside grasped the urgency of the moment, the opportunity presented by shovels and a mound of dirt and a grave, the opportunity to honor the legacy of someone who helped build and sustain a community founded on the conviction to do it together do it for each other, and don't pay someone else to do the things that matter. Jesus refused to allow his followers to dismiss this woman who grasped the urgency of the moment, although in their confusion and anger they certainly tried. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to all who witnessed it, Whenever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. In other words, he was saying, when this week is over and you look back, you will realize this woman did what needed to be done. Remember her so that you too can grasp the urgency of the moment and respond. Holy Week is all about remembering the stories that teach us who we are. We are the ones who have walked with Jesus but failed to understand him, who sat at table with Jesus even as we planned to betray him, who, when pressed, denied we had ever known 
or loved him, who left him at his moment of greatest need and suffering. Holy Week invites us to hear these stories again and to see ourselves reflected in them, not to make us feel guilty, but so that we might begin to grasp the depth and breadth of God's extraordinary love that for this broken and breaking world, Jesus came and died and was raised. This is the gift of hope Holy Week offers us. And in a world that needs this hope as much as it ever has, this moment demands that we claim this gift. And in memory of all those who have exhibited the courage and foresight of the woman who anointed Jesus, that we raise our weary voices to share that hope with all the world. Amen.